The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. All right, I don't know if this is real or this is a dream. Memorex. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I know that last night you weren't here. Yep, I, I heard either was your guest for the, <laughs> the, <laughs> for the first hour. <laughs> the guest wasn't here. Um, yeah, I was kind of, I mean, being by myself is one thing, but being all alone is like the, another thing. I, that was a bit of a shock. Uh, yeah, I, I, that, that really stinks when the guest leaves you hanging. I mean, yeah. It, not to, it's one of those things where you're kind of doing them a favor, putting them on air, you yeah. know, on a hundred stations across the country. Right. Yeah. And for them just to, I don't know. What now, I, we, in all fairness, so to, maybe something, that's maybe, it. Maybe something happened. In all fairness to Sarah Wiseman, we don't know why uh, we couldn't get her last night. We're still waiting for uh, a response to that. And hopefully it's nothing serious. Hopefully she didn't get injured or sick or something, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, that was a little awkward, but we got through it. Yeah. Well, good. Congratulations. Great job. Thank you. Always a great job. Thank you. But I couldn't think of a better co-host to handle that, especially when (laughs) I pulled a no-show. No, I didn't pull a no-show. You you, you knew I I wasn't going to be there. Yeah, I knew in advance, thankfully. But uh, I did not know these guests wouldn't be. But, you know, today is the, uh, what, today's the summer solstice, right? I don't, you tell me. You've got that dumb uh, dumb calendar oh, no. on, on your computer. I had to, <laughs> I had to pause looking. myself there. I almost, uh, I almost uh, dropped the, uh, you would have had to have you know delayed me. I would have had to push the delete button. See, no. that's what happens when you, I, you're you in New York City for the day. I mean, yeah. you, you just you I pick know. up some language problems. Well, yeah, yeah, it's you, when you're yelling for taxis and everything. Yeah, is that how you yell for a taxi? Use those words? Uh, you, you'd be surprised sometimes <laughs> the words I have to use when I yell for taxis. Well, or anyway, I'm fighting some guy for a taxi. T- today is is the summer solstice, and it's important, uh, obviously, because it's the longest day of the year in the northern hemisphere. But in addition to that, it's a day, it's a day that traditionally thousands of people will flock to Stonehenge uh, to celebrate the That's summer right. solstice, and they've thought the theories are that for uh, a few millennia now um, people have done that they've used Stonehenge as a place to celebrate the summer solstice well that's awesome and they expect about 25,000 people to be there and it's I a thi- whole lot of people look at a bunch of rocks yeah and I think it's already it, it, they it, they're supposed to be there at sunrise which would have been 4:52 a.m. In the UK, they're five, um, five hours ahead of five us. Five hours ahead, yeah. so it would be just about now, just a little bit before now, actually, but like ten minutes ago or so, or twenty minutes ago. Um, so they're probably all there trying they to figure out how they're five forty-two. Yeah, five forty-two. So they still got forty. Well, they got about thirty. What thirty-one minutes? Thirty-two minutes left. Well, five forty-two. No, four four fifty-two. I said. Oh, four fifty-two. <laughs> or maybe I said, my math sucks. Yeah. Or maybe I said five forty-two, but I meant four fifty-two. Regardless, oh, yeah, no matter what you said, I heard five forty-two. But anyways. Yeah, so um, it's believed that for uh, that solstices have been celebrated at Stonehenge for thousands of years. Of course, Stonehenge has long been associated with pagan religion and druids, um, and folks from both of those "quote unquote" religions are expected to be in, at Stonehenge in full force today. Well, and also, didn't weren't there some people who believe that during that uh, the uh, portals opened up? Yeah, there's other there's, dimensions t- there's, and- there's talk about that. I don't know. Maybe that's what they're waiting for. Yeah. Well, if, if half of them disappear, we know that there's some truth to that. Speaking of disappearing and speaking of oh, England. Oh, is this about me not being here last night again? No, no we already no, covered that. As, but uh, as speaking of disappearing and speaking of England, the the Jack the Ripper, the case, Jack the Ripper case is yes. still open. Um, not that anybody disappeared, but uh, women were brutally murdered and dissected and, and mutilated uh, during those slayings in England in the late 19th century. And we're going to be talking about that tonight. 
Yeah, we're going to be talking with Michael Hawley about this, uh, Jack the Ripper, uh, suspect Dr. Francis Tumblety. So, I don't, and there's been so many theories about who he, who who it was. Through, well, I, I know we had talked with Jeff Mudgett, our good friend, how he believed that his great great grandfather uh, was uh, who was H. H. Holmes was Jack the Ripper, and there's been other theories out there as well. I know Jeff actually did a whole thing with. Uh, on, on his series, I, I know it was canceled, but he did a whole thing on his series talking about how he believed it. And there were a couple episodes de- uh, de- designated just to that, dedicated to that. Yeah, it was. it's a pretty fascinating theory. And I'm, I'm a little disappointed that they didn't bring the research and the investigation to conclusion. Because if I remember correctly on that series, on what was it, History Channel or was it? Yeah, it was yeah, History Channel. History Channel. Um, they were about to excavate uh, the area where H.H. H. Holmes' home was in Chicago, which was now part of a post office uh, and, and grounds of a post office. And they were going to excavate it. And that's kind of where they left it hanging at the end of that first season of shows. I think it was only like five shows. I hate that when shows just, you know, at least give me some closure. And yeah. of course, it's not the people who are doing the show, like Jeff or whatever, but it's the, the TV networks. And uh, you just you want some closure. Yeah. So I'm not sure if they ever did the excavation and just decided not to put it into the series and not show the series. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Oh, we'll have to have we'll him have, back on. Yeah, we'll have to have Jeff back on yeah. and talk about it. He, he's just a great guest, and uh, he's a good friend, and always good. Always just great to talk with him and, and hear his his uh, theories and thoughts on it. But Michael Hawley's new book is called Jack the Ripper, Suspect, Dr. Francis Tumbleteen. We're going to talk about why Michael believes that this particular doctor, an American doctor visiting in London at that time, and he was actually arrested, uh, but not kept because they didn't have enough evidence against, against him. But apparently law enforcement in England believed this was the guy. And uh, we'll, we'll let Michael tell us what evidence they had against him, how he was able to um, not only uh, beat the charges, but actually uh, leave England and come back to the United States free from any uh, extradition. And what happened when, when he got back here? Did he find more trouble with the law? I mean, did he do anything that might indicate he had those tendencies? It's going to be it's going to be well, an interesting and it, story. And it makes you wonder if if Jack the Ripper did come oh, if he was an American and he, he he did what he did over there. I mean, those are usually things that that are, are growing inside that person. And you'd think that he'd come back here and similar things would start to happen uh, over in the U.S. Right. The similar crimes would occur in places that he was. And maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Michael will tell us about that. So it's going to be a great conversation. Tomorrow night, Rick Wagner, who's the ghost doctor, and he's a spiritual healer, will be with us talking about how he uses um, energies to connect with entities around him to help uh, people understand it any unexplained pain, depression, or thoughts of addiction and or suicide and help them discover their own authentic voice once again. If you haven't yet, make sure you head over to facebook.com slash beyondrealityradio, like the Facebook page for us. Then head to beyondrealityradio.com. You can find all the stations we are on across the country. The list is constantly being updated, so check it often. Uh, You can also download the free iPhone and Android app, which allows you to listen live while on the go and uh, catch past shows as well. Or just listen right from the website. You can click the Listen Live button in the upper right-hand corner of the website, or you can click the Pop-Up button, which opens up a chat room. You can hang out in a great community with a great community of people and uh, while listening to the show right there on your computer at home. 
Yeah, um, we encourage you to do that, uh, all of the above, and uh, support the show any way you can. We love it when you do that. Also, remember the phone number is 844-687-7669. We will take your calls later in the show if you want to join our discussion about Jack the Ripper. Yeah, especially if you have your own theories on who Jack the Ripper really was. We'd love to hear it. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break. A lot more to come. You're listening to Jason and JV, Beyond Reality Radio. We'll be back. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Joha. That's J-O-H-A-W. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back to the show. Uh, it's Beyond Reality Radio, Jason and JV. Tonight we're going to be talking about Jack the Ripper, and we're going to be talking with Ripperologist Michael Hawley. By the way, you can visit his website. It's michaellhawley.com. His most recent book is called Jack the Ripper, Suspect, Dr. Francis Tumblety. And, uh, Michael, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. Great to have you on tonight. Great. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks for coming on, Michael. So let's talk. Oh, thank you, Jason. Yeah, let's try to figure out a couple things here. First of all, what exactly is a ripperologist? Okay, well, that is actually uh, kind of a term that's been used lately uh, that is basically a group uh, of uh, people interested in the uh, the Whitechapel murders mystery, that uh, the Jack the Ripper murder case uh, with the serial killer in the autumn of 1888, uh, where we had still unsolved in the Port East End District of London, that has occurred. And so the, uh, uh, since for decades, there have been researchers that, and, and they have been writing and uh, investigating this unsolved mystery. And so it's just been continuing. And so we, um, and so it's a, it's amazing how much information is involved dealing with the victims, dealing with the, uh, the suspects and the case itself, the geographical location. So you've got in that group of enthusiasts, you've got researchers and writers like myself. You've got editors. You've got uh, uh, people that work, uh, uh, run journals. And then you've got people that facilitate conferences and uh, also podcasts, specific dedicated podcasts for the experts. For example, uh, Rippercast, which is run by uh, Jonathan Menges and, and Casebook. And then we've got online two forums, online JTR forums, which is Howard Browns, and this casebook.org, which is uh, Stephen and Allie Ryder. All of those have been operating, running for years, and it's, and, uh, and it's kind of a place where researchers can build up reliable knowledge. And then now into the, the social media with the Facebook pages, and then the, there's the book reviews uh, from experts such as Paul Beck, and it's really... It's kind of our version of peer review, all of the above. So, and that was my basic background before in the sciences, where I had actual peer review. It's uh, uh, it really, uh, even though there's bumps and bruises on the way, love hate relationships with everybody, but uh, it's amazing how much information is discovered, especially when all the original files are missing. Now, what brought you into all this this whole story about Jack the Ripper? What got what got you interested in it? Well, what happened was is uh, you know my background again. Uh, uh, I went to Michigan State years ago before I uh, joined the Navy. 
but I was a geology and geophysics major, and then I went into the Navy, and I was a, uh, a naval aviator and retired as a commander. But then I got my master's, and my master's thesis was on fossil stratigraphy. So I was trained in, in discovery, and I loved discovery and learning new things that uh, other scientists had never discovered, and then research. Uh, so then about in 2009, I watched a show. Uh, you recall the Mr. Quest episodes? And there was one that it was on Jack the Ripper, and it was uh, Stuart Evans, uh, which is, he's now been doing research for 50 years, but uh, uh, this was 20 years ago. He acquired this letter, this private letter from um, uh, this book dealer, and that private letter came from the secret special branch of Scotland Yard, the, the special branch division, kind of like the CIA's version, uh, the chief inspector at the time of the murders, uh, what happened was this famous journalist, George Sims, asked him late years later who he thought Jack the Ripper was. And then so he suggested one particular person. And here is this man who was in the know, who wasn't directly involved with the Ripper case, but he was always in the meetings. He basically said that uh, he mentioned this American quack doctor, Francis Tumbley, and he said, amongst the suspects, he's a very likely one. And that shocked Stuart Evans because for 80 years, no one's ever heard of this guy's name. And here is this chief inspector who was there saying he was a very likely suspect. And so then Stuart started doing some research. The next couple of years, he discovered much more. Lots of the information was actually in the United States with the newspapers. And that's one of the reasons why people didn't see it, uh, the name so much. But, um, and then what happened was, is, uh, that, I, what, because that episode showed that he was buried in Rochester, New York, which is only an hour and a half away from me. So, uh, I went there and, uh, so I decided, um, I got interested because it's a mystery. And then, um, I found out that a lot of the experts by 2009 kind of rejected the idea of Francis Tumbley really being a serious suspect. So then I started. I decided I'd like to uh, jump in and try to utilize my particular skills at research in the physical sciences and see how, uh, if that could apply. And I just kept on finding more and more information, and I realized that the more I found, the more Stuart Evans was right all along. And then, and then it, we we are continuing to find new information. And so this last few years here have been kind of a uh, a uh, huge amount of um, discovery, so much so that, you know, I had been asked to do a lecture in Liverpool this last year and also Baltimore, and then um, um, as I was, I wrote about that, uh, that uh, I was flown to Dublin, Ireland to do an interview, which is going to be on the Travel Channel in August, and then there's another film coming up. So all this stuff is just building up. So it's uh, a wealth of new information, which is an exciting part. So my plan was this, start with Francis Stumbley since he's, you know, he's buried right next to me. And once I exhaust him, I was going to go to the next suspects because there's a few suspects that uh, people favor. And so, uh, but I just kept on, kept on finding more and more material. Uh, it wasn't just me, uh, Joe Cecchuti, Roger Palmer, and uh, Brian Young, all of us are getting, you know, uh, getting involved with this, but. Um, we just keep on, keep on finding more and more information, so it's very exciting. Talking about Jack the Ripper tonight with Ripperologist Michael Hawley. Check out his website. A lot of great information there at Michael L. Hawley. That's H-A-W-L. 
L-E-Y.com. Uh, he's got many books to his credit, several about Jack the Ripper, including Jack the Ripper Suspect, Dr. Francis Tumblety, which is what we're talking about tonight. He also has The Ripper's Haunts and The Ripper's Helbroth. Bunch more on his website as well. And uh, Michael, I want to um, back this up. And, you know, America has had a fascination with this story. The world has had a fascination with this story. I have to assume those in the UK still have a fascination and maybe even a little bit of a fear about the story. There have been a lot of serial killers in the course of the, the history of the world, particularly in the United States. We know many, many of those uh, cases remain unsolved. Uh, we just had one solved very, very recently that had been open for a very long time. What is it about the Jack the Ripper story and those unsolved, that unsolved case and those murders that make this story so fascinating? Well, I think the first thing is the name Jack the Ripper. Then uh, when, uh, but right when it was, went on, this was 1888. In the 1870s is when transatlantic cable uh, news cable communication was was kicking in. And so this was the very first time as the, uh, the Ripper, the victims were being murdered, they, there was, uh, we had, uh, the New York newspapers had London correspondents, such as the New York World's London co- uh, correspondent, E. Tracy Greaves. And when, when there was a, uh, let's say a Ripper victim, it was sent off immediately across the world. And people in, in Idaho would see these, uh, uh, the it would be talking about the uh, the Whitechapel district and the the people there experiencing this this killer on the loose and then no uh, that Scotland Yard has not been able to find and so it kind of captured the attention especially uh, and right in the September 25th there was a letter a dear boss letter which we now which most people think that is probably a fake. But it titled it Jack the Ripper, and that was the first time this Whitechapel fiend had a name to it. Back then, you know, Jack the Beanstalk, they used the term Jack generically, and so they didn't really have a name, so they don't know who it is, but the uh, uh, Jack the Ripper is, but that name kind of kicked in. And so, uh, and since then, it's just been kind of part of the culture. You know, it's, it's just like you said, and it, uh, it keeps going because of the mystery. And then, uh, so I would say uh, quite a bit of that, especially the name. Well, but also this thing, we're 130 years since since the, these murders happened. I mean, is it really right. po- is it really possible to still find new information uh, this this it, late after? It is unbelievable uh, what uh, just in the case of Francis Tumblety that uh, you know Scotland Yard basically. Uh, um, when Francis Tumblety, he was arrested on suspicion, and when nobody saw the murders, and so uh, they didn't have anything on anyone, but what they did have on Francis Tumblety is a misdemeanor charge of gross indecency. And so they, for a number of reasons, they wanted to keep him off the streets, and so they, uh, once they charged him with that, it was uh, he... Uh, uh, he sneaked. He bailed he, because it was a misdemeanor charge. He posted bail, and he was a he was basically a millionaire by then. Uh, but he uh, sneaked out of the country, and the murder stopped. And then, uh, then when he got to the United States, because it was the misdemeanor charge, that was not extraditable, so they could not bring him back. But and uh, and then within about six months to a year, another woman uh, was murdered. Scotland Yard was convinced that that was a Jack the Ripper victim. So since Tumbley was in New York at the time, 
he was off the radar. But we since know that that was likely not a Ripper victim. So, uh, and so uh, it just kind of continued that way. And but, he, and um, you but say, we have, especially now, um, with this, for, especially with, like, for of our sake, uh, when since 2009, we found out that here's Francis Tumblebee, uh evidence that he did indeed have a collection of uterus specimens. Here's Jack the Ripper took a uterus out of two victims, and he took a kidney and a heart. So here's here's Francis Tumbley has this unusual thing happening during the Civil War. And then, um, and then what we found out also recently that he did indeed have this amazing hatred of women that, uh, um, that, and then, uh, and he can, he believed that certain types of women were the curse of the land. And then, um, but we had also the case where, uh, um, in the year of the murders, we, we found out that he told a new, uh, Toronto reporter that he was in constant dread of sudden death because of kidney and heart disease. And here it is, Tumbley has uh, had a uterus collection. He had a, uh, you know, he had this kidney and heart disease, and those were the three organs taken from uh, the Ripper victims. And then we have these, uh, Annie Chapman was one of the victims. She was the only one that had an inanimate object taken. Uh, a Jack Ripper took was uh, a keeper ring and a wedding ring from Annie Chapman. And then what happens in this case, we have... Uh, uh, Francis Tumbley always kept uh, jewelry, diamonds and jewelry in one pocket and cash in the other wherever he went. And uh, he would always get himself in trouble because he had a, he, uh, he liked young men. And so he would get at, get caught and then uh, be in jail or uh, be in front of the police. And uh, um, when he, in 1903, when he passed, in his personal collection was all that jewelry and two cheap rings, uh, imitation rings. And so if, uh, in this case, with Tumblety, if you look at all five Ripper victims, people don't know why Jack the Ripper would have taken those rings uh, because it was the only inanimate object taken. But if it was Francis Tumblety, there was a reason because that, that that's the only thing on these women that symbolized heterosexual bonding, and Tumblety hated that uh, heterosexual bonding because uh, he, uh, um, he uh, was basically a homosexual, ex- with the exception of that we just discovered that he was a hermaphrodite, so how that connects it is uh, another interesting twist. But uh, we just keep on finding more and more information. And then just this last year, we found out Scott Leonard had no idea that here's Francis Tumblety told this young man in um, New Orleans who we'd meet up with that a few years before the Ripper murders, he showed him his collection of surgical knives, which we now uh, believe that Jack the Ripper used. And he told this young man that all, that all, all um, that streetwalkers should be disemboweled. Hmm. This occurred before the Ripper murders. So let, I, I, Scott Leonard had no idea of this. Yeah. You've, you've, so uh, we just keep on finding this material. You've said a lot again. Um, can we get a better sense of who Dr. Francis Tumblety was? Um, you know, we the way we've started our discussion tonight, he was uh, arrested 
and accused or at least suspected of the Jack the Ripper killings and was charged with a misdemeanor, was able to leave England and not be extradited. So he really never uh, was could be pursued as aggressively as maybe law enforcement wanted to pursue him in England. Uh, he kind right. of escaped that. But who was this guy before all that? Before that, he, uh, he was basically a quack doctor. Uh, he was born in Ireland, and he was raised in Ireland during the, uh, the worst of times of potato famine. And when he was 17, he came over, and um, he, some of his family members had already moved over years earlier. But when he moved to uh, Rochester, and there was uh, two different types of alternative doctors there. One was a French cures doctor, uh, R.J. Reynolds, and then there was this Indian herb doctor, uh, which is uh, um, uh, a guy named Lyons, but Rudolph Lyons. And what happened was is he would work for them, and he, he learned the trade, basically. So by, by um, 1856, he was now a full-fledged Indian herb doctor, he professed to be, and he would do that. He started in London, Ontario, and by the time he got in three years, he was in uh, Toronto, and he made upwards of three a uh, million dollars, three million dollars in today's value. By that time, he was so successful at this, and he would. Uh, it was all about exploitation, and um, but it, at this uh, at the same time, uh, then right around the Civil War, he uh, he wanted the um, he kind of went through Canada, and um, he um, in the Civil War. He came to the the capital basically to make money, but also what he tried to do is he tried to become a uh, the general surgeon, General McClellan, who was in charge at the time. He uh, humbly tried to kind of get into his surgical staff, and so he had no medical diploma because he never went to med school. So what he tried to do was he tried to uh, give illustrated lectures, and when you do that, you had to have an anatomical museum that you claim to have made yourself. And this is where he had his uh, his uterus collection at that time. And so what he was trying to do was he's trying to bypass the medical diploma, uh, bypass med school by if the U.S. Army um, hired him as a surgeon, he's basically now a surgeon. And so in his he had autobiographies that he would, like uh, each, you know, every decade he would write a new autobiography and in there, he, he claimed to be the uh, disciple of Abernathy, which is an English surgeon. But he he would he was his primary uh, medical expertise was the botanical medicines. And so, but uh, he claimed to cure all. The problem is, is he by 1880 he realized that he had these diseases that he could not cure himself. So before 1880, his a life was money making, and so he would he would go into a city, kind of like a Liberace type, in uh, in a circus style, and just uh, be over the top, wear uh, you know expensive, gaudy clothing, and to bring in these uh, people uh, claiming, and he would claim that he could cure all. Now it was basically uh, herbal medicines that made you feel better back then. Allopathic medicine was. Uh, you know, the, which the medical community was using was nasty stuff. They still used mercury and they mm -hmm. still used bloodletting. So it hurt when you went to the doctor, but a botanical doctor, you made you feel better. So he would claim that he's curing you, but for the first while it does make you feel better, but it really wasn't a cure all. 
but he would be gone by the time that would happen. Uh, this is a particularly short segment, Michael, so I want to take a second here just to talk about your other books as well. You've got several books on the Jack the Ripper story. If one of our listeners was interested in uh, learning more about this and getting started with your books, which of the books would you recommend they start with? Well, actually, uh, uh, I would say The Ripper's Haunts if it's nonfiction. So I've done both fiction and nonfiction. The, the nonfiction, which it does, I think, a good job in understanding some of the background with both Jack the Ripper and Francis Tumblety and why he came became a suspect. So even though my latest book, uh, Jack the Ripper, uh, Suspect Dr. Francis Tumblety, it's, uh, you know, it's by itself. I made sure I had everything in here, but even the newer information. But I would say the Ripper's Haunts first, and then, uh, in the, then you can also go into the, the next one. Now, are some of your... Oh, sorry. No, no, that's fine. And the whole story behind Francis Tumblety has always been really interesting. I have strong ties to Rochester. I was born in Canandaigua, New York. We, uh, we lived in Rochester for many years, and my aunts and uncles are, and my grandfather's still there. Um, and oh, really? I, I remember one of my aunts telling me about, about the whole idea of this guy being Jack the Ripper, because I guess he worked at a hospital that was only a few uh, blocks down the road from where my, where my grandfather still lives. And uh, wow. at some point, he cleaned a hospital over there, and he's he's buried out there, isn't he? He's buried in Rochester. Right? Yes, he, yeah. yes, he's uh, at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Okay. And then uh, what's interesting about that is a family grave site with uh, um, he, his mother and father are buried there, and his br- older brother Lawrence. When you look at the, it's a it's a granite pillar grave uh, grave site, so it's expensive. And so Francis Humbley was the one that had the money, so you could see he paid for it. His father died 1851, his mother uh, 1873, so that's when he had it erected. You can see that in the front where it says, May they rest in peace. His brother Lawrence died 1898, so on the side you see that, and it says in Latin, May he rest in peace. And so then in 1903, when Francis Tumbley died in St. Louis, uh, he made sure that his niece uh, uh, brought his body to be buried there, and his name is in the lower right-hand corner. And curiously, it does not say, may he rest in peace, just his name hmm. on there. Interesting. So back to your books, uh, Michael. You, you Have you written fiction about the Jack the Ripper story as well? Yes, that's the Ripper's Hell Broth. What happened was is the uh, true story that um, at the same time the Ripper murders were occurring, there were theories about uh, Jack the Ripper, this eminent engineer, thinking that uh, the, uh, he heard through the grapevine in the wealthy West End that he was like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type during the day of an eminent engineer and at night a medical maniac looking for the elixir of life by taking herbs and then putting the fluids of the uterus where life begins in there. And so what happens is Jack the Ripper, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, was actually being shown at the Lyceum Theater in the wealthy West End London at the time of the murders. And so when it showed the first, the opening day, when it made the papers, the very next day, Martha Tabron was murdered. And so, uh, so then interestingly, that the, the, uh, at the Lyceum Theater, the business manager was Bram Stoker, author of Dracula. Mm. And his best friend was Sir Henry Hall Kane, who was the boyfriend of Francis Tumbley in the 1870s. And the people that worked at the Lyceum Theater, they uh, joined this uh, Masonic group called the Order of the Golden Dawn. And their primary goal was to look for the elixir of life. 
It's all these kind of connections. And here's Tumblebee yeah. in constant dread of sudden death because of kidney and heart disease the very year that that occurred. And so all of that was happening at the same time. So, uh, I mean, it's uh, quite intriguing. So, so there's more to it, a lot of details. So, but uh, it's just kind of an interesting thing that we have these uh, Tumblebees always kind of connected to these famous people, even during the Civil War he was. So we've been talking about uh, Dr. Francis Tumblebee, and uh, you gave us a pretty good background, um, what he is about, kind of an odd character, kind of found himself in a lot of interesting circles, a lot of weird connections with some particularly uh, notable people of of the time frame. Um, But at what point does he become uh, a person of interest in the Jack the Ripper story? Well, what happened, uh, when we look at the evidence, and that's what it is, try to follow data, what happened was that E. Tracy Greaves was the New York World's London correspondent. And what he had done in uh, November 17th is he had, co- he had a uh, scouting yard informant that gave him some information on the Whitechapel murders investigation. And one of those was a subordinate story. It wasn't the uh, headliner story, but a subordinate story about a doctor Cumbledy with a K of New York being arrested on suspicion. And when they couldn't find, uh, didn't have anything on him, they rearrested him for this misdemeanor charge. And they didn't say what the misdemeanor charge was. But what happened was within a day, they, um, the, uh, the papers really found out that it was actually Francis Tumbledy. So when we look at the uh, evidence, it looks like what happened was is before November 7th, he was arrested on suspicion like a bunch of other people were. Because they, if you were single, if you were uh, talking to any of the casual prostitutes, you were, and you had any kind of similarities to uh, eyewitness descriptions, you were picked up, you were brought into the local police station, and they wanted to identify your name and your, uh, where you lived. And so that's what they were doing because they, they just didn't know who it was. And they doubled the guards basically in October um, because they still couldn't find anyone. So what happened, though, was when they I figured out who this was, they uh, cabled headquarters, which is Scotland Yard, the Metropolitan Police Station. And they, uh, according to Inspect- Chief Inspector Littlechild, Tumbledy had a large dossier already. And that dossier was actually in CID or the investigative department. And what it showed inside that depart in that dossier was that, uh, according to Littlechild, is he had this unusual hatred of women. And there was a, uh, theories that were the uh, Jack the Ripper had anatomical knowledge, and so they were looking for someone, possibly a doctor. And then, especially uh, the last letter had a few Americanisms in it. So they thought maybe Jack the Ripper was an American and possibly an American doctor. So he, he fit the bill in a lot of ways. And so that was a bunch of red flags. And so they wanted to uh, continue the investigation. But as I said, what happened is uh, some of the letters in his pockets showed that he was actually having relationships with young men. And that was illegal back then. And so uh, they could get him off the streets. And so what they did is they, uh, they tried to... Uh, get him uh, off the streets by this charging him with gross indecency. So what happened is they sent him off to, uh, um, so, uh, this, uh, to central criminal court basically. And when he got there, um, he could, um, uh, before he got there, he uh, sneaked out of the country. And then, uh, so that kind of started it up right there. So, um, 
But then we, um, that's kind of how it works initially with Francis Tumbledy. What is the, uh, the most striking evidence that they had uh, against this particular suspect? And was there anything that was found after he left England uh, that would have given them the ability to keep him in custody? The, uh, the problem is they didn't have anything on anyone. And then so they couldn't keep anybody in custody. They did have enough on gross indecency, so they could have got, gotten him in jail. If he would have got, sneaked off into Canada, they could have done something. But uh, in this case, what uh, the, with, in particular with Francis Tumbley, was this weird hatred of women, and uh, especially prostitutes. And so there are a couple reports, newspaper reports, about his collection of uterus specimens as well. So some of these things were quite uh, uh, red flags, enough that made Chief Inspector Littlechild think that he was one of the very likely suspects at the time. So uh, that was uh, um, base, uh, it, but we don't really have any records of what else was in that file because that's uh, lost in time. So is it, but, is, uh, it fair to say, is it fair to say that um, basically all we've been able to work with at this point is circumstantial evidence and behavioral evidence based on his character and his, uh, I don't know, method of operations with everything else he was doing? Is that where this all comes together? That's with everyone. Yeah, every one of the suspects, because nobody saw the murders. There was nobody that witnessed the murders. There were people that witnessed uh, some eyewitnesses, some suspects, uh, with possibly the one of the unfortunates, which we still don't know. The problem with eyewitness testimony, though, is that uh, the Innocence Project just recently there were uh, they looked at 239 cases where the conviction was ba- uh, modern uh, convictions were because of eyewitness testimony, and 73 percent were overturned by DNA evidence just shows you the weakness of eyewitness testimony. And many of these suspects are based on this eyewitness testimony. But back then, they didn't have DNA. They didn't have fingerprinting. I mean, they didn't have fiber analysis. They didn't have anything. Just possibly they could beat a confession out of somebody. But uh, the the thing about, again, Francis Tumbley is because of this strange hatred. He was, again, he was there. He admitted to being in the Whitechapel District at the time. And then he uh, had, again, he had some anatomical knowledge as well, and that's one of the things that interested them. So now that we look at the Ripper victims, one of the things that uh, modern experts, is uh, uh, Professor Brent Turvey looks at him, and what he sees is he doesn't see the normal serial killers like a Ted Bundy or a John Wayne Gacy where it's sadosexual, sexually sadistic serial killing. What he sees is anger, retaliatory hatred of women in there. And he sees a thing called um, a reassurance-oriented uh, in there. And what happens is that matches tumbly to a T, this uh, unusual hatred of women that he had. And then uh, so, um, so he kind of matches kind of the modern profile of that. But uh, the, uh, uh, with, with that... Uh, any of the suspects, we just have that circumstantial, and then, but then again, you know, circumstantial evidence has putting people in, uh, you know, on death row. Yeah, but you said though, after he came back and he was back in the U.S., there was an, still another murder that happened, correct? Well, yeah. Well, there are a couple actually, and then, uh, but 
uh, we can't directly attribute to them. But one of the misconceptions that uh, the first misconception that the FBI talks about with serial offenders is they continue to kill. Uh, but sometimes they do, but not often they don't. In the case of anger retaliatory, what happens is that uh, they tend not to kill afterwards because once they get almost get caught, that's when they kind of stop. It's kind of an impulsive, a narcissistic impulse. And then uh, one of the things about they look at all serial offenders is they either have antisocial personality disorder or narcissistic personality disorder, like Ted Bundy. And Francis Tumbley was that, again, to a T. So, but, uh, but but yeah. Many, how many murders happened after he was, he was back in the U.S.? Uh, murders in London? Yes. Uh, there were always murders going on because it was a rough neighborhood. But I mean some that met but the same the profile, one, though. It met the same profile as Jack the Ripper. Right. The, 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 we call it the canonical five. The last one was Mary Kelly, which was the only one that was indoors. That was November 7th, and, and Tumblety was there at the time. But uh, there were no more that had that signature where you get that deep throat cut. Okay. And then, uh, and then um, the what uh, D- Professor Turby saw was that these killings were non-sadistic. The sadistic meaning that you enjoy the the, the pain and suffering of others. That what what uh, the killer did was he killed them first before he started eviscer- eviscerating, collecting organs, basically. So, uh, um, but yeah. Give out your website and any other uh, places that people can go to follow your work. Okay, yeah, uh, um, michaellhawley.com, H-A-W-L-E-Y, and then I put everything. That's my hub. And then, of course, uh, we have social media, my Facebook pages as well, that I even have a what's called the Watchmaker page because my fiction novels, uh, the Watchmaker is his nickname, dealing with Francis Tumblety. So, uh, but, uh, so that's probably the best place to do that. And then, uh, so, and then we have the, the, the online forums with the JTR forums and Casebook. Those actually will help get a better picture of what's going on with the experts. And that helps people actually get, well, get up to speed on where, where everything is at this date. Right, exactly. And, we, I know and you'll we... see debate, debate, debate. Uh, don't forget to uh, check out the website. The Beyond Reality Radio coffee mug is there. Just click on the image of the mug and you can order one. Domestic shipping is included. If you're ordering internationally, you just have to reach out to us and we will customize the shipping shipping for you. I can't even talk. I, yeah, we still, like it when you grab our mugs. It, it's this Scaricon weekend thing still. I just have tongue-tied. I'm exhausted. You were there. You had a good time Saturday when you were hanging out. I did. I had a great time and ran into some old friends and it was a uh, just wonderful time hanging out with everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it is a good good group of people. So thank you to everybody. I, think I saw you like once or twice. Yeah, so. I ran by. I remember just kind of seeing you in passing. I was running all <laughs> over the place, but it was a lot of fun anyway. Tonight we're talking about Jack the Ripper with Ripperologist Michael Hawley. His book is called Jack the Ripper Suspect, Dr. Francis Tumblety. And that's what the uh, focus of our conversation has been. And uh, Michael, we're going to go to the phone lines here. We've got uh, Allison calling in from Providence uh, with Hi. a comment. Hey, Allison, welcome to the show. Well, I don't. I know this is a boy. I've been studying this a long time myself. I lived in London for years uh, a long time ago, and uh, took the walk with Martin Fido and Donald Rumbelo and everybody. I'm sure your guest knows all about them. Um, the thing about Mr. Tumble or Dr. Tumbley is that he was in custody on the night of Mary Kelly was murdered, the last and most infamous murder. And not only was he in custody, he was in jail. He was uh, in jail for gross uh, assault against men. He was probably gay or, you know, just homosexual, they would have called him that. 
And, uh, you know, despite Hollywood, um, most gay serial killers, you know, uh, kill men, uh, you know, and most uh, heterosexual serial killers kill women. And, um, and so, the, and the mere fact that he was in, um, in, in jail when, when, when Mary Kelly was killed is just, I think that just seems like an insurmountable stumbling block to me, unless you think that, that Mary Kelly was killed by someone other than, than the fellow who came to be known as Jack the Ripper. That's a, that's a great point. Oh, what, no. do you, what do you think, Mike? Um, Oh, uh, he absolutely was not in custody. What happens is, what we found out recently is that um, his first, when he was received into custody for Holloway Prison, that was for a remand hearing, that was November 7th. What happens then is that on November 14th, he had his committal hearing, and his committal hearing is designed to go to see if he's going to be committed to the next step. Central Criminal Court. So that was November 14th. He posted bail. So the same magistrate gave him bail on November 14th uh, for the committal hearing, and so he posted bail. So what happens is the previous remand hearing was the same magistrate, so there would be no reason why he would not allow bail. The problem is we don't have any record either way. Well, what we do know is that three Scotland Yard uh, officials, Assistant Commissioner Anderson, uh, Chief Inspector Littlechild, and uh, Inspector Andrews all uh, stated that Tumbley was a suspect after the Kelly murder. All three of those officials, if he was in jail, all three of those officials thought Mary Kelly was a Jack the Ripper victim. So if he was in jail, none of them would have said that especially when British law shows that um, because the magistrate had the ability to allow bail at the remand hearing and that he could, he did give bail at the committal hearing where, where more of the evidence was given, that it's highly likely that he gave bail at the remand hearing. So that would mean that he would have been uh, uh, free. So, so uh, was uh, Mary Kelly a Ripper victim? Some experts don't think so, but I'm, I, it doesn't matter because I know that Je- uh, Francis Tumbley, because he was uh, of that, because three Scotland Yard officials stated he was a suspect after the Kelly murders. Why would they say he was a, a suspect if they knew full well he would be in jail, especially when British law allows for bail? So... The uh, when uh, people say that it was a fact they was in um, uh, in jail, that is absolutely wrong. There is no uh, fact. It's actually against British law. So that was actually one of the things about Francis Tumbley is there's so many misconceptions. One of the things is, is talking about because he was gay. Now remember, he was actually a hermaphrodite. He had both male and female parts. Not that he was um, uh, so, but. He did favor uh, men and young men, and so. But what happens is, the only reason, if you look at a couple things, one is there are cases of uh, serial, um, homosexual serial killers killing the uh, females. But in the case with Francis Tumbley, it wouldn't matter because where uh, homosexual men like Jeffrey Dahmer, John Wayne Gacy, when they kill, they will kill their. Uh, the same, you know, the young men, because it's a sadosexual serial killing, sadistic sexuality. There's a sexuality, there's an impulse. Uh, when uh, Professor Turvey looked at the Ripper victims, he did not see s- sadistic killing because 
They were uh, killed. Bef- uh, they were mutilated after death, post mortem, and so uh, there was no sexuality to it. So he saw anger retaliatory. In the case of anger retaliatory, absolutely, what will happen is you don't have. It's not has nothing to do with sexuality. So for him to kill them, the reason why he killed them is because he hated prostitutes. He, he actually hated. He didn't hate all women. He only hated women that uh, were attractive to young men, the, uh, because he believed young men should uh, 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 be, uh, you know, it's more the uh, non-heterosexual relationship. So that's why he, especially prostitutes, and then so there, in both cases, it's a misconception about both those. Allison, thank you so much, though, for bringing in that point. Um, it is a, one of the, you know, one of the questions that, that, that keeps surfacing. Um, we don't have a whole lot of time left, and I want to shift the topic here a little bit. We've been talking about uh, Dr. Dr. Tumblety here uh, most of the night, but there are some other pretty high-profile suspects, and how do they rank in your estimation, um, Michael? Like somebody like H.H. H. Holmes, that theory has been circulated uh, more and more commonly. Um, it, was he somebody that uh, that enters your uh, list at all in, in, as far as suspects? Well, the, what happened is his great-grandson, uh, Moffat, what he did was is, uh, his idea was this, is that here's the Chicago serial killer and that uh, looks like he was. there's record of him being in Chicago except for the fact that uh, during the autumn of 1888, therefore he was in London killing these women. Now the problem, though, is we just received uh, evidence that it was a, an election year. So November, we have record of him being in Chicago. And we have one of his children was born nine months after October 1888. So unless, you know, some other man uh, conceived that. But uh, so uh, there are some stumbling blocks that you never heard. The other thing was, is when you watch the show, it was fun to watch it. But the uh, when they said that they collected the 15 composites of eyewitness testimony, and it looked almost like H.H. H. Holmes. Well, the problem is, one, is nobody saw the murder, so there were no eyewitnesses. Right. So that's one problem. The other problem is, is when you look at any eyewitness of possible suspects, they only gave, if you read it, they only gave height, maybe color of hair. But it's so amazing that when you looked at the photograph of that composite, his face, his eye features, his nose looked exactly like Holmes. How did that happen when there is no, uh, you know, testimony of showing what his eyes look like? So uh, there is a lot of stumbling blocks with with Holmes. There are some suspects. Again, is what I said is I fully appreciate everybody researching all the suspects because again, this is a case where we're really never going to find out who Jack the Ripper is. As in, uh, you know, like you know, I. Uh, uh, you know, there's about a dozen confessions. The uh, the DNA, uh, you know, they're, we're not going to find any DNA as well, even though that's kind of been part of the uh, one of the uh, things that's been in the news as well. But what about so he personally for me is not. There are a couple of them. I like Druitt. I like uh, a couple of the other ones that uh, are, are out there that are uh, some good possibilities. And uh, you brought up uh, the point of DNA um, technology. Is there any technology that that either we're starting to introduce into um, 
you know, crime solving today that uh, ultimately may be able to help us with this? Is there any evidence, uh, anything physical that we might be able to run a test on down the well, road that'll give us something? I would something? love to have the DNA. The problem is, is uh, you know, we can exhume the victims, but it'd be a, a far chance that we'd find any male DNA on them. And the shawl that they supposedly had the DNA, now that was on the uh, Catherine Eddowes. Apparently, Catherine Eddowes had it, and a Scotland Yard police constable was there, knew it was a famous murder, so he took the shawl away, and then he passed that down to the family. Here's the problem. Catherine Eddowes was not murdered in the jurisdiction of Scotland Yard. They were, he, she was murdered in the metropolitan, I mean, in the city of London. So there would be no reason why a Scotland Yard police constable would be there. So they've never answered that question. So, and we've also known where that uh, that shawl has been for the last uh, twenty years or so. So there's still some conflicts with that, but it's still sold for I think three million dollars. Yeah, that's so. right. That's right. All right. One other question that's kind of off topic here. Um, you recently joined a paranormal group. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, Elemental Paranormal, uh, run by uh, Heather Madison. She's a and uh, uh, it's uh, interesting how you know that because we worked with some of your people at the Buffalo, and then uh, because we worked with Mason Winfield, who was kind of like the the guy around here, who uh, and he was the guy that actually made a comment about Tumbledee in his one of his 1990s books, Shadows of the Western Door. But uh, we uh, uh, we're going to be working two days. We uh, and uh, I'm telling you here, I'm the science guy, and I am supposed to bring in uh, you know. Uh, skepticism, and every time Heather is doing something that K2, and my K2 is called Special K, starts acting up. And so it's kind of like stretching my worldview, so in a fun way. And then, uh, I mean, there's some really cool stories. So well, it's always but, good uh, to be a yeah, believer. Uh, absolutely. It's always good to be a believer, but you got to keep that, that skepticism, and you got to really And by the look, way, that was because answer. of you. Because when you watch Ghost Hunters, that when you watch, up to me, when I watch, for you, you ha- I personally, I thought you had the best objective skepticism. There are people that are deniers, but your skepticism was objective, so which, uh, was, very, uh, uh, which was very intriguing. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. So what's next in this search? What's next in this mystery? Do we have any path forward to get more answers and maybe ultimately the real answer? Oh, uh, well, uh, always the more. It's called reliable knowledge. We're building up the reliable knowledge, and the more and more we get, we're fitting those puzzle pieces. There's actually a book three coming out, which uh, Brian Young and I are, are working on, because we've actually discovered even more stuff, which uh, I promise not to kind of give any details yet, but there, uh, it, th- this Tumblety guy was everywhere. And then uh, so we're finding more uh, more material. So, uh, could he maybe not be Jack the Ripper? Absolutely. But uh, every time I turn over a stone, there's something damning to it. And then uh, we're also looking in 1887, 1888, where he was uh, uh, where he was living at the time of the murders. Where, and he had a habit of moving from one place to another each month. So we're actually getting closer to that, too. Well, now, when it comes down to Tumblety, wasn't there also information that he was possibly somehow tied into the whole Abraham Lincoln thing as well? well okay, this will be a first on the radio right now. Here's what's, uh, what's going to happen. I'll, I'll, I'll reveal this. 
What, did, is, I, uh, did I just throw more information out there? <laughs> uh, was uh, in eight, well, 1865 was, the, uh, was Lincoln's assassination. We found out that Francis Tumbley was hanging out with John Wilkes Booth in Buffalo, New York, 1863 in, in August. This character and is... he denied ever meeting John Wilkes Booth. Th- this character... We have that record. This character is amazing. I mean, as you said earlier, the number of connections that he made with important historical figures of the era is, 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 is it's, a, it's remarkable. It's almost unexplainable. <laughs> well, what he was trying to do back then, he wanted to try to be in the limelight. As, you know, even though he was an anti, had antisocial personality disorder, he was there to make money at that time. Pre-1880, it was all about money. Yeah. He had the money. He had the wealth. He could go places. And even during uh, the Lincoln's... Uh, uh, the uh, when he had uh, in he was in New York City before he became the president he was already elected so Tumblety is riding his horse right next to Lincoln's uh, um, you know uh, carriage and he just he just finds the places <laughs> wow but post eighteen eighty eight try to find them that's very difficult. So sorry, I didn't mean to let the cat out of the bag with the whole you know being connected to John Wilkes Booth there. <laughs> Oh no! You know, I don't. <laughs> it'll be more. <laughs> oh well, I, it's just something I had heard in the past, and I had always wondered if there was any truth to it. So I guess there there was. All right, all right. So uh, we're we're basically out of time, Michael. This has been a fascinating conversation. I'm really really uh, pleased we had you on the show uh, once again. Give your website out and let people know where they can find out more about your work and uh, where they can buy the books. Okay, great. And probably the best thing, as I said, my website, because I have it all there, is www.michaellhawley.com, H-A-W-L-E-Y. And then uh, from there, you, you, you can go anywhere from there. Even go into the, the different social media places that uh, the experts are discussing this and debating this. Well, Michael, thanks so much for coming and hanging out with us. And uh, we definitely we look forward to talking to you again at some point and just finding some more information. So <laughs> what do you think? You think well, uh, there'll ever be answers on who Jack the Ripper was. The only way I think there'll ever be any solid, definitive answers is if somebody uncovers a diary or something from somebody, like it's hidden in a in a you know chest in an attic somewhere, um, and it's found to be authentic. Says like I'm Jack the Ripper, and, and, and you know, like chronicles things in there that you know yeah. the, only the police would have known that kind of thing. Um, other than that, I don't. Th- there's no physical evidence. There's no. There, you know, they can't do any DNA testing. Uh, there was no w- eyewitnesses. I mean, there's just it's just almost an insurmountable case to solve. Otherwise, yeah, it's not like the Golden State Killer that they were just able to identify because of DNA, right. and, and so forth. But right. like, if they had some something like you know hair samples or a bone or whatever from a vict from a a, a suspect. And then uh, somehow along the way, they, they could tie it to a victim, you know, with DNA testing. That'd be one thing. But they don't have any of that. So there's just nothing to go on. Yeah, especially back then. I mean, things are so such contamination at crime yeah. scenes compared yeah. to today. Yeah, they don't have nearly the same techniques, yeah. yeah. Well, definitely a big shout-out to uh, to Michael Holy for coming and hanging out with us tonight and just talking about Jack the Ripper and telling us, uh, well, his thoughts and uh, the evidence that he's been able to find over the time. That's going to pretty much do it for us tonight. It's Jason and JV, Beyond Reality Radio. We'll catch you all tomorrow. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by JV Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, 
contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.